Hey, what's up? Hello. Welcome to Sounds Fake But Okay, a podcast where an arrow ace girl, I'm Sarah, that's me. And a demi street girl, that's me, Kayla. Talk about all things to do with love, relationships, sexuality, and pretty much anything else we just don't understand. On today's episode, a romanticism. Sounds Sounds fake, fake, but but okay. okay. Welcome back to the pod. Ma'ari Arrow Week. Oh, yes. Ma'ari Arrow Week. Excellent. Yeah. Welcome. I mean, might as well it just is. start there. It's Arrow Week. The the day this podcast is being released. Today is the first day. Um, So we thought we might take this time to, uh, to do an episode that has been... Uh, many times requested by our listeners, um, which is the Arrow TED Talk. Just what is a romanticism? Exactly. So uh, for those of you who may or may not know, uh, we have an episode that is the Asexuality TED Talk. What is Asexuality? It's episode 87, just in case you're on the hunt for her. Um, And we basically just, we just did like the TED talk that you often have to do when people find out that you're a spec um, and they're like, oh, please define everything for me because I don't understand this. Um, So we we made that TED talk essentially uh, so that, you know, it can be used as a resource, whether you want to give it to your loved ones and say, hey, this explains so that I don't have to, um, or you just want to, you know, have all the information in one spot. And we had people saying that they would like it if we could do uh, a separate episode for uh, a romanticism. Um, and so here we are finally doing it. Yeah. So this episode will hopefully give a mostly comprehensive look at what a romanticism is, what it's not. Uh, we obviously can't explain literally everything in one episode, but mm-hmm. we will do our very best. Um, For anyone listening right now who isn't a regular listener, maybe your loved one did send you here. Do you want to just do a short introduction of who we are, Sarah, so they know why they should be listening to us about this? Absolutely. It is my dream to do so. (laughs) Um, So, hi, my name is Sarah. I identify as aromantic asexual. Um, The arrow identity is probably a little bit more relevant to this particular episode, uh Kayla is unfortunately does experience romantic attraction. <laughs> it is Unfor- a sad I, I fact. say unfortunately. I don't it's no judgment on those of you who do, but you know. So, you know, we got this podcast. We talk about aspec issues. That's is there anything else I need to say? No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I and and I'll kind of go into a little bit more depth probably of my own experience as we're just like as a reference point as we're talking about this. Um, but that's the basics. I'm aromantic. Nice to meet you. Yes. Okay. So let's, I guess, start with the the definition of aromantic. Kayla, do you want to start us out there? Yeah. So... Uh, So if you are aromantic, you experience little to no romantic attraction to anyone of any gender. So romantic attraction as in, you know, being attracted to someone in a romantic way rather than in a sexual way, in a platonic way, uh, that attraction is just not there or is only there rarely or infrequently or only under certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the split model of attraction, which is prevalent in aromantic communities um, and the whole kind of asexual, aromantic, aspec umbrella, um, which is the idea that uh, romantic attraction and something like sexual attraction are not inherently the same thing. Um, this can be a bit confusing for a lot of people because... Um, most people, the attraction that they experience um, towards whatever gender or genders they experience it towards is the same for their romantic and sexual attraction. And so they don't 
see the difference. They don't see the line in between them. But this flip model of attraction just acknowledges that there is a line somewhere between those things. Um, and then there's also, you know, aesthetic attraction, sensual attraction. We're not really going to get into those uh, in this episode. But basically, the split model of attraction says there are all these different types of attraction and who you find yourself attracted to may differ depending on which type of attraction we're talking about. Um, so I think the easiest way to kind of like understand the split model of attraction is kind of just, I guess, an example. So mm -hmm. for many people, your att attraction sexually and romantically might be the same. So you might be a woman who is sexually and romantically attracted to men. So you would say that you are heterosexual and heteroromantic. Um, so then your attractions might be quite aligned and it might be hard to see that line. And you might just call yourself heterosexual, implying that you're also heteroromantic is often how people uh, use the terms. But for someone who their attractions might be a bit different, it is easier to see that line. So say someone is homosexual, so maybe they are a man who is attracted sexually to other men. They, you know, get aroused by men. They like having sex with men, whatever. Um, but maybe they are aromantic. So they don't feel romantic attraction to men, women, non-binary people, anyone of any gender. So you can see that that sexual attraction is there, that romantic attraction may not be there, and so it becomes kind of necessary or at least helpful to separate them into different labels so that you can kind of have a more nuanced understanding of your attractions, what you might want your relationships to look like, everything like that. And similarly, you might have a situation where uh, perhaps someone is homosexual and biromantic, so they experience attraction uh, romantically to more than one gender, but they only experience attraction uh, to one gender when we're talking about sexual attraction. So there are basically an infinite number of combinations, <laughs> um, but... The important thing about the split model of attraction and the reason it's prevalent in aromantic communities and why we're talking about it now as we explain aromanticism is that the idea of a romantic identity, I don't think is as prevalent as a sexual identity. You know, everyone kind of has the idea of like, oh yeah, you might be heterosexual or homosexual. Um, I don't think it's as common to think about what your romantic identity or orientation is. Um, but looking through the lens of the split model, the split model of attraction, we can see that like, okay, they are separate. And so that allows for specific identities like a romanticism that aren't completely tied to a sexuality. It can be something different. Mm -hmm. And there are certainly people who identify as aromantic who also identify as asexual, myself being an example of that. Um, but just, you know, you, you don't have to necessarily be both. And I think we, we don't want to um, spend this episode uh, referencing asexuality too much because we wanted to focus on aromanticism because... Oftentimes, those two are um, conflated, and we don't want to do that. But I think it is worth noting that I think the reason, in part, that asexuality is is focused upon more is because there's a it's harder to draw a strict line between romantic attraction and something like aesthetic or sensual attraction than it is between those things and sexual attraction or even platonic. Yeah. With, with with sexual attraction, like, my mind goes straight to genitalia, you know, not necessarily that you're attracted to a penis itself, but you're interested in doing something that involves that penis. Whereas romantic attraction, it's a little more nebulous in terms of what it means. Um, so to that end, Kayla, as someone who experiences romantic attraction, can you just, def like, tell us how you define romantic attraction just so we have kind of a, a reference point yeah um i mean the funny thing is that it is hard to explain even for someone who does experience it which is i think what we're getting at is that like a romantic orientation or romantic feelings are much harder to define than sexual feelings or attraction mm -hmm. um but to me when i think of romantic attraction i often think of things like what a crush feels like. And then I kind of go into like what a crush feels like for me. So 
I guess the easiest way for me to describe what romantic attraction is is to describe how it's different from being friends with someone, I guess. Um, Like for me, if I meet someone really cool and I want to be friends with them, I don't necessarily like spend time daydreaming about like what our friendship would be like or what we would do when we were hanging out or something like that. Um, With someone I'm romantically interested or attracted to, I think my you tend to get, at least in my experience, more kind of hyper fixated on that person. They make you more nervous. You're more kind of like worried about what they think of you. You might spend more time like daydreaming or whatever about like romantic scenarios. But of course, those are then kind of actions, right? Like daydreaming about someone or like doing romantic activities. You know, those aren't necessarily linked to the feeling of romantic attraction. I guess it's just like the wanting to do it i don't know if it's hard to explain yeah and i think um romantic attraction means something slightly different to everyone and i think that's it's kind of important to mention that here um is that there are no hard and fast rules about you know like if you want to hold someone's hand and kiss them like how much of that is romantic attraction and how much of that is sensual attraction you know it's there, there is no hard and fast line, um, which is it's right. difficult, but I think it's also freeing in some senses. Um, so the the line is wherever it is for you, and um, if right. that's yeah. not the same as the person next to you, that's okay. Right. In my description of what I see as platonic, what I see as romantic, if you're saying like, actually, I would daydream about what I want to do with this person who I want to be my friend, like that's very valid. A lot of people do do that about friendships. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, it's not necessarily tied to actions, like Sarah said, like kissing or holding hands, which I think we'll get into later with kind of common misconceptions. Mm -hmm. Um, being aromantic doesn't necessarily mean you don't want to do things that are coded as romantic. It just means the attraction isn't there. Correct. So before we get too ahead of ourselves there, let's talk about the aerospec umbrella. Um, so... In addition to just aromantic, there are some other related um, aero identities. Uh, We're not going to go into all of them here, um, but we are going to uh, just kind of dip our toes in and give you a little bit of context of what some of the the most common ones are, the ones that you might hear talked about. And just to define, in case you are new to the community and to the terminology, exactly what Sarah is saying. So when Sarah says the aerospec or aerospectrum or things like the umbrella, that's typically just kind of how the community thinks of aromanticism, is that aromantic can be an umbrella term for a lot of these smaller identities we're about to talk about, and it, it can also be a spectrum. So in the same way that sexuality in general is a spectrum that, you know, you can, you know, being bi isn't necessarily the direct middle between being gay and being straight, things like that. You know, everything moves on a spectrum. Being aromantic can also move on a spectrum. So you might be all the way to one side where you've never experienced romantic attraction in your life whatsoever. You might be closer to the other side where you do experience romantic attraction, but only in certain scenarios. So when we talk about the aerospec or aerospectrum, we kind of just, that is our way of encompassing all of the identities that surround having little to no romantic attraction. So with that said, why don't we go into uh, some of the identifiers that that fall in different places on that spectrum. So one of the terms that you might hear is demiromantic. And what that means is that a person who identifies as demiromantic doesn't experience romantic attraction to someone until they have formed some sort of bond with them. Now, this isn't the same as just being friends with someone first and then being interested in them. It's it's that you did not have the the capability of of experiencing the attraction until you got to know them a little bit better as a person. Um, so th- this would be a situation of uh, you know you you can experience romantic attraction, but only under certain circumstances, right? And for some people, the amount of 
the amount of time they need to to spend knowing someone and, and, and being with that person before they get that romantic attraction may be a short amount of time. For some people, it might be years. Um, there, there's, like with everything um, in, honestly, the whole queer community, uh, there's no hard and fast rules, um, but it's just that, you know, you need to have that bond first before you experience the attraction. Right. And I think the important thing here is that it is not a choice. It is not someone wanting to be friends first with someone before they date. It is literally, like Sarah said, the incapability to even begin to feel a romantic feeling until there is a strong bond there. Maybe it's some sort of strong trust, um, mm. some sort of, you know, some sort of strong platonic relationship. It's different for every person, but I think it's often described as people will be friends with someone for years and then one day they'll be like, oh my God, I have a crush on this person. Like it can just take a very long time and, you know, only under special circumstances is that romantic attraction going to build. Mm -hmm. And with this one, you know, I can already hear people being like, but, but, but in terms of people being friends first and then and then you know having that romantic attraction slash experience um and again it's important to know that like everyone as we said everyone kind of interprets and experiences things differently so one person might be friends with someone and then have romantic interest in them and not identify as demiromantic. And another person might have a similar experience, but they do identify as demiromantic, um, even if from the outside those those situations look similar. Right. I think it's also like interesting to think about like how often that is the case. Like for me, I am not demiromantic. I have had relationships where I was friends with the person for quite a while first and then started to like them. I've also used dating apps and have formed crushes on people very quickly. So it's kind of the question of like, yeah, for me, that experience has happened some where I've been friends with someone first, but it wasn't that I needed to be friends with someone first. Mm -hmm. And it also hasn't happened every time. So yeah. I think for demi-romantic people, it is more consistently that in any scenario, there needs to be a bond built rather than like, oh, yeah, this one person I dated, we happened to be friends first. Yeah, like program does not run unless XYZ happens first. <laughs> right. Sort of situation. Another term that you might hear fairly regularly um, in aerospec spaces is gray romantic now gray romantic sounds kind of vague and that's because it is <laughs> um so people who are gray romantic um will generally experience romantic attraction very rarely um for some people that means once or twice in their life. For some people, that means more often than that. Um, again, it, it really depends on the person. But uh, a person who identifies as gray romantic, um, they they don't have that attraction with the same regularity or frequency as um, a person who might not identify on the arrow spectrum. Right. And it, it's different from demiromanticism in the way of there's not necessarily anything specific that needs to happen to form the romantic attraction. It's just mm -hmm. that it is more rare than perhaps your average person in the you know population. Right. So for me personally, I identify as aromantic. At first, I wasn't totally sure if I had ever really experienced romantic attraction. And so I kind of used the term gray romantic because I was like, I maybe, you know, maybe I have, maybe I will, I don't know. But then, you know, later on, I decided that aromantic um, was a better term for me. Now, that is not to say that gray romantic is a stepping stone for everyone. Um, it is, in and of itself, a valid identity. Um, and whether someone identifies as gray romantic for a little while or identifies as gray romantic for their entire life, it's equally as valid either way. Another term that I, that I kind of considered when I was questioning 
was uh, the term qua romantic or WTF romantic. WTF romantic came before qua romantic, so you can probably kind of guess what (laughs) some of the origins of this was. People who identify this way, um, they tend to not really be sure if they um, experience romantic attraction or not. They don't really understand the concept of romantic attraction. They feel they feel very distant from it in a lot of cases, um, which is where the WTF comes from, where it's like, what what even is <laughs> what even is romantic attraction? Um, and so those people, you know, they may feel what they think is maybe romantic attraction, but they're not sure. Um, you know, it's, they, they can't really figure out, I guess, where, where the line is. And this isn't the same as... It's not the same as being unsure of what your identity is as a whole. Like, this isn't an identity for people who are questioning. Rather, it's, like, kind of, you know, earlier when I was struggling to define romantic attraction... It's kind of that struggle just like on a deeper level of like, I know I experience these close bonds with people. I know I have these certain type of relationships maybe. There's just like no real way for me to tell whether this is a romantic attraction or a platonic relationship. Like Mm -hmm. it's just very nebulous. Mm -hmm. And these people by identifying this way are just like kind of okay with that like vagueness of what their attraction is. Yeah, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, to some extent, everyone has a bit of that that blurriness in terms of where the line is between different types of attraction. But um, for qua-romantic or WTF-romantic people, they are just kind of like that, that blurriness exists and it continues to exist, and I don't anticipate ever necessarily... Uh, clarifying where the line is um right and that's for me how i identify yeah like for me i might not be able to speak verbally what romantic attraction is but i know like like when i feel it i know what it is but these people like they might feel something and still not be able to say like oh that's what i'm feeling and this isn't to say that like we keep saying like these people aren't able to do this like they can't do this it's not in like a judgmental way that we're saying that mm-hmm. of like, oh, these people can't figure out like these words that society has put onto things. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's not like, because these, they're stupid. It's because they no. just their 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 brains, their bodies, their however you want to describe where attraction comes from. It just doesn't exist for them. And so f- for me, like as I mentioned that for a while, I was like, hmm, maybe I'm WTF romantic, and. I felt that way because I couldn't tell if what I had experienced with uh, people in my life, with certain experiences, I couldn't tell if that was romantic attraction or not. Um, Now, for me, what I ultimately decided was, no, it wasn't. Um, But I also do kind of embrace, to a certain extent, the idea that, like, it doesn't really matter if it was or wasn't. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I think there's definitely some overlap between that mindset and what WTF romantic is, um, but they're not inherently the same. One of them is an identity of how you experience attraction, and one of them is more of a a, a life a life policy <laughs> of just mm-hmm. being like, eh, I, it doesn't matter. I don't care. So I know we just threw kind of a lot of words and definitions at everyone. So before we move on into like some common misconceptions, things not to say and ask, just to round it up, if you take anything from any of this, at its core, at its core, people who are aromantic or on the aromantic spectrum or under the aromantic umbrella experience little to no romantic attraction. And that little to no can change depending on exactly how they identify. But that is at its core. There is little to no, never or rarely romantic attraction to anyone of any gender in that person's life. 
and then you can get more granular from there. But if you take anything generally, if you need a base to start with, that's your base. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said it before, I'm going to say it again. Uh, the the person who decides uh, what little to no romantic attraction means and what terms that they use to describe that attraction, um, it's up to that person. And it, it could differ from person to person. And that's okay. Okay. Deep breath, everyone. How are we doing? <laughs> doing good? Okay. You can pause. You can go back. Remember, you can always yep. come back to this. There are many things that you can read. Hopefully, I will be turning this episode into like a written type blog situation that you can look at eventually. Mm-hmm. There's lots of other resources. We've got our so, transcript on our website if yes. you'd like to so just don't read the get, transcript of what we say. Yes. We know this is a lot. Don't get overwhelmed. You don't have to learn it all at once. You don't have to understand it all at once. This episode is always here for you to come back to. So, And frankly, you don't ever have to have a fully, you don't ever have to fully grasp all of it. It's okay if you if you don't fully understand every aspect of it, as long as you're just like, not mean and as long as you're disrespectful about it then that's fine yes as long as you have a base understanding you're not gonna say anything rude not gonna have any of these misconceptions we're all good well kayla what are those misconceptions let's get into them so these kind of are gonna list out some things that we've heard from people over the years of misconceptions that just come around When they hear someone identifies as aromantic, they hear about aromanticism, etc. So the first one is kind of what I was getting into earlier in this episode of a person's attraction doesn't necessarily line up with their actions or what society deems as a quote-unquote romantic activity. So things Mm -hmm. like kissing, things like holding hands, Someone who is aromantic is fully able to do those things if they want to. And they can even be in what would be deemed as a traditional romantic relationship. There is nothing stopping someone who identifies as aromantic, who doesn't experience romantic attraction, from being in what would be looked at as a romantic relationship, going on dates, holding hands, kissing, giving flowers, all of those things we see as romantic. They're just actions So even though in your mind it might be kind of like a, huh, if they don't experience the attraction, why would they do those things? I understand that that's kind of a brain-bending thing to think about, but people still can do that if they're aromantic. Um, And, you know, romantic attraction isn't the only thing that compels you to hold hands or to kiss. They're also just physical acts that can feel nice outside of attraction. Um... So, yeah, common Mm -hmm. misconception is that aromantic people can't do romantic activities, be in romantic situations. Um, It's just not true. Yeah. And I think for for me, even, this one, it took me a little bit to wrap my head around. Um, I was able to understand um, that, you know, asexual people uh, can still have sex. That was a little bit easier for me to grasp but then like aromantic people can still have like what's deemed as like romantic relationships but it's it's exactly the same as asexual people having sex and that you know they may do it because they just enjoy the sensation of it they may do it because they are you know they have some sort of partner that you know wants to do these things and they want to do them with them you know it it doesn't matter. The rules are all kind of made up anyway. <laughs> um, so, you know, it. I understand if it takes a little bit of, of sitting on this one to, to really understand it. Um, because even me as an arrow person, like, it did take a hot second. But uh, that's okay. It's all part of the learning process. Yeah. I mean, same for me. I think this is kind of one of the big hurdles that I still try to get over is thinking about, like, okay, if I wasn't romantically attracted to someone would I still do these things um but I think it's honestly like an exercise you could do is just sitting in your head and thinking okay when I kiss someone what are all of the reasons I would go to kiss someone one might be that you're romantically attracted to them one might be that like you like how it feels 
Three, maybe you're drunk and you're not romantically attracted to them at all, but like you just want to. So kind of just sitting with yourself and listing out even like what are all the reasons behind doing something that is seen as a romantic act. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot there besides just romantic attraction. Yeah. And for some people, you know, it it may get to a point where when you're trying to list those things that like you can't even come up with a good reason. It's just because you want to. And it's like, okay, well, this person might just want to too. You know, they don't mm-hmm. they don't have to experience a certain type of attraction to want to do something. The second common misconception that we want to debunk is this idea that arrow or arrow spec people can't or don't have fulfilling relationships in life because they don't have romantic attraction and or romantic partners um romance is such a a central feature of our social order that you know when when you'll often hear it said that like oh this person is still single at the age of blah 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 that's too bad or you know you you constantly have people asking you about like oh who are you dating like you you should find someone so that you don't die alone you know that sort of thing and that really that can be really difficult in the sense that in the same way that it is um kind of entrenched in people who do experience romantic attraction it's also entrenched in people who don't and so there's kind of that hurdle to get over for a lot of aerospec people of realizing that like you know you don't need this particular type of attraction to have a fulfilling life. You know, you can still have fulfilling relationships that aren't romantic relationships, or you can have relationships that seem outwardly romantic without the attraction, as we just mentioned. You know, like, uh, for me, as an arrow person, like, just because I don't feel romantic attraction, and um, in my case, I don't really have any interest in any romantic relationships activities blah 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 blah. um that doesn't mean that i don't still have strong bonds with people that are you know platonic or you know there's there's so many ways to um be close to people and to have relationships with people and um even outside of relationships like even if you're someone who struggles to form bonds with anyone, maybe you like don't have that many friends, maybe you're not close to your family, fulfillment can be other things. It can be work, it mm-hmm. can be like where you live, if you have a pet, like what you're doing that you're passionate about, a project you have. There's a lot of ways to be fulfilled that are outside mm-hmm. of the relationships you have that can be very internal. Right. And I, I understand the concern here it because it's a well-meaning concern. It's, you know, I I see this person and I don't want them to be lonely. I don't want them to be unfulfilled. Um, but I think it's, it's harmful to act as if um, romance is the only way to find fulfillment. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, I know of plenty of people who are, you know, they get married and then they have horrible marriages and they get divorced or they stay and like that that doesn't sound fulfilling to me <laughs> like if if they're having a horrible relationship and it's you know and so i think it's we need to take a step away from the idea that romance is um inherently going to fill a a certain um gap you know in in our lives it might for you but it might not for someone else, and all of that is okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, another misconception is that saying that your arrow is just kind of like a cop-out for people who have commitment issues. Um, that's just on its face not true, because aromanticism is the lack of the attraction itself. Whether or not you experience attraction to a certain gender or genders does not determine whether you're comfortable in committed relationships, whether those are romantic relationships or otherwise. Um, So, I mean, sure, there might be people who identify as aromantic who are 
not comfortable with long-term committed relationships. But there are also people who are not aromantic who do have trouble with commitment. And so, um, again, they're, they're not the same thing. I think for me, this was another thing I struggled with too, especially thinking about people who are aromantic and are coded as male is, you know, there's kind of the the stereotype that a lot of men just like like to have sex, but don't like to have committed romantic relationships. And so kind of breaking that stereotype, especially for male aromantics, I think is very important. It is not just that a- it's it's not at all that aromantic people want to just maybe have sex and not have romantic relationships with people. That has nothing to do with it. So like Sarah said, there is there is a difference and people can still have committed relationships to other people, can have a lot of strong bonds. It's just and like we said, could still be in romantically coded relationships. It's just that the attraction isn't there. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I'm aromantic, but I would say that the relationship that me and Kayla have is a committed relationship. We mm-hmm. we share a bank. We have a bank account together. <laughs> you know, we, we, we do this podcast every week. It's something that we do together and that we have committed to doing together. Um, and there are certain things. There's there's a give and take of what each of us needs to do to contribute to this relationship, both in a professional context and in a more personal context. Um, and you know, just because I'm arrow doesn't mean that like that's not possible for me because clearly it is. Mm-hmm. Another misconception is the idea that just because a person is arrow, it also means that they are asexual. In the same way that you can't assume that a person who identifies as asexual is aromantic, you can't you can't assume the inverse. Um, it is totally possible for a person to be aromantic but to experience sexual attraction um, on some level, whether regardless of what their identifier that they use there is. And oftentimes, because romantic and sexual attraction are just generally conflated with each other and confused with each other, people do think that just because you're one, you're the other. Um, And that's not the case. Uh, I believe there was a study done that said only something like 18% of people who identify as A-spec identified both as Arrow and Ace. Um, So... You know, obviously, that's that's not even a majority. <laughs> um, Aerospec identities are a part of the aspec more broadly, um, but we first we refer to it as the asexual umbrella, not the a umbrella, um, because aero identities are not discussed as much as asexuality, just more broadly. And so, we wanted to dive into just real quickly the the why of that. Um, Obviously, it's not like we, um, we've we done a study and are reading you the results, but just in our own experience, um, uh, you know, aromanticism tends to be harder to normalize because while sex is taboo, romance isn't. It's so deeply ingrained in our society. There are certain expectations. You've got Valentine's Day. You've got this and that. You've got the expectation to get married. You've got the expectation to, you know, ask so-and-so to the school dance, Um it's it's talked about very openly in in a way that sex um is often not and so um asexuality and so people see arrow identities as um weirder or stranger or even more wrong than they might view asexuality um which is obviously a problem <laughs> um but you know it's just the way people experience it because um you know, they, it's hard for many people to grasp that some people may just experience the world in a, in a profoundly different way than them. Um, another reason that it's not talked about as much is just because it's less interesting in media. Like if you think about films and TV and books and comics and that sort of thing, there's pretty much always a romantic plot, whether that's a subplot or the main plot. Um, and so people are like, oh, well, arrow identities are less interesting. Um, we, we can't have, you know, these will they, won't they 
relationships, blah, 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 which is just untrue because, as we mentioned, Arab people can have fulfilling and deep relationships with people regardless of whether they're coded as romantic or not. Um, it's also, I think, uh, talked about less just because fewer people identify this way. Um, that doesn't mean that it's less common just that fewer people choose to use the identifier. And this is um, this is more of a, a, a personal opinion, but I do think it's worth noting that, you know, it's possible that because um, it tends to be a little bit harder to draw the line between romantic attraction and other types of, you know, sensual, aesthetic, platonic attraction, um, that uh, fewer people choose to use the label just because they... Um, they don't totally know where the line is and because romance is so it's impressed upon us from from when we're very very young and so it's it's seen as the default which is why some people may not view aerospec identities as an option that's just a small detour um tldr tldr <laughs> Just because a person is Arrow doesn't mean that they're also Ace, although they can be. For example, me. Right. You can refer back to the split model of attraction for that. People can have two identities that don't necessarily line up. Mm -hmm. uh, the last misconception is that people who don't fit other societal norms in other ways Perhaps they have had some past trauma in their lives, maybe had some abuse in their life, maybe they are neurodivergent, maybe they have some sort of disability. Another misconception is that people like that can't be aromantic, and that is just not true. People who are maybe autistic or maybe have depression or, like I said, maybe have trauma in their lives can still identify as a as a romantic, and it is not necessarily because of those other identities that they hold that they are aromantic. It is not because someone is autistic that they are aromantic. And not every autistic person, obviously, is aromantic. It is not because someone maybe had a, an abusive relationship in the past. That is not what is causing their aromanticism necessarily. We get questions a lot from people of, I had this in my past, or I also have this neurodivergent identity. Am I allowed to still identify as aromantic? And the answer is yes. You get to decide. Yes. Um, no matter what else is going on in your life, if you feel that the aromantic label fits you and helps you, then you are allowed to take it. Even if it somehow is caused by past trauma, quote unquote caused, that doesn't mean that it is not valid and that it is not part of who you are now. Mm -hmm. um, sexuality is incredibly fluid. It is something that no one really understands how it works or why people are the way they are. So, you know, there is there is no reason that you are not allowed to identify it some way or that you should tell someone that they are not allowed to. Even if it looks maybe from the outside like some part of their life, quote unquote, caused their orientation that you know that's no one's business truly yep people identify how they identify um and that's that mm -hmm. and it's very fluid so fluid complicated no rules <laughs> yes <laughs> um wonderful okay so those were kind of the main misconceptions Along those lines, we want to go into a couple things maybe not to say or ask to a person who has told you their arrow. As we mentioned in our ACE TED Talk, obviously, you know, whether or not we can't ban you from asking these questions, right? But but we do urge you to to think critically and, you know, only ask certain questions if it makes sense in the context, if it makes sense with the um with with the relationship you have with this person. Um, and just you know, to, to think about the impact of your words. You might be coming from a very loving place and a very, mm -hmm. you know, a place of being worried about someone when you are saying things or asking things. Um, but just be aware that your intention might 
not come across that way. It might be perceived differently. So, I mean, to start out with, you have the whole, like, you know, that's so sad. Like, you're going to die alone. Which, there's so many problems with this. Um, One of which is the idea that arrow people don't have to die alone just because they're arrow. As we mentioned before, you can still have fulfilling relationships. For me, you know, I have friends that are in romantic relationships, committed romantic relationships. They've been together for a long time. Kayla is one of them. But, But those friends are people who don't inherently value their romantic relationships over platonic ones just because they're romantic. Those friends are people who are thoughtful about their relationships and each relationship has its value based on the relationship itself and the people involved in the relationship. And so, you know, I'm not gonna die alone because I have these strong bonds and friendships with other people. And those people might be in romantic relationships, but that doesn't mean that, like, I'm always, like, gonna be a third wheel or something. Like, there's, there's, there's many layers and I, I can be friends with someone with whom another friend of mine is in a romantic relationship. It's not always going to be like, oh, that's too bad. You're just alone. Um, there's, it's, it's, it's well-intentioned that you're worried about their happiness, but it's uh, severely misguided. Right. I still fully plan on growing old with Sarah, though I am in a long-term romantic relationship. She's going to annoy me until one of us dies. It's true. There, The idea that you need to grow old with a spouse and a bunch of children around you is just not true. There are so many other ways to build a strong community around you that you can have either consistently or different communities through your life that are going to be there at the end. It does not, there is nothing, there's no rule out there. There's nothing set in stone that it has to be some romantic partner that you are there with your, at your dying breath, you know? Yeah. Along those lines, another common thing that you hear is something about cats, dying alone with a bunch of cats. Um, Being a spinster. Being a spinster with cats. Um, Honestly, I have the same rebuttal to this. Um, but with the addition that I like cats are cool. Like I don't like what, what's so bad about living with 12 cats? Nothing except for that. It'd probably be messy. Yeah. Um, so there's that one. Um, another thing not to ask an arrow person is don't you feel like you're missing out? No. Next. But also, even if that person did feel like they were missing out, even if they were maybe at a point in accepting their identity where they still felt some sort of jealousy towards people who do experience romantic attraction, or, you know, they still had that societally ingrained idea that, you know, you you must have this romantic attraction, even if those people do feel to some extent, like they're missing out. What is it helping what, to what are they reinforce do that? Like, like, what is you being like? Oh no, don't you feel like you're missing out? What are wh- how is that helping the situation? It asking that kind of implies that it is a choice. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're missing out on the fun of being romantically attracted to someone or dating or whatever, which obviously is we've gone over isn't true. You can still date. But it makes also it dating seem- sounds so not fun for a lot of reasons. Like it's it like can be, it, it can seems be like such a process. <laughs> anyway, it makes it seem like it's a choice that you can just say, "Oh my god, you're so right. I am missing out. Let me just pick up some of that romantic attraction." When, mm-hmm. like any other orientation, it's just not a choice. So there really isn't any constructive reason to ask that or say something like that. Right. And when you and when you pose it like a question, it's not coming off as a question. The the person mm-hmm. who you say that to is hearing you're missing out. Um right. and that's not productive. <laughs> like that's not constructive. Like what what are you what are you getting with that? 
Um, yeah. The opposite of that would be to tell someone, oh my God, you're so lucky. You don't have to deal with dating or, you know, having your heart broken and things like that, which, you know, kind of like Sarah just said, Sarah seems rather happy to not have to <laughs> date or go through the stresses that it can have. And obviously, you know, I can say from someone who dates and has romantic attraction, you know, it can be stressful and it can suck. I would equivocate this to telling a gay person that they are very lucky that they're gay. Like mm-hmm. maybe telling a lesbian that they're very lucky that they don't have to be attracted to men, which we can joke about all day long because blah, 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 men suck, whatever. And we but do. It, and <laughs> we, we do, do joke about it all day long. But it's important to remember the struggles that also come with being a romantic. You, it. It's not like, you know, every stressful part of your life is just washed away. And though aromantic people might not deal with the stress of having crushes on people or whatever, or having their heart broken, romantically speaking at least, there are still struggles that come with being aromantic. Like people not understanding you, people saying rude things to you, being left out of things. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little tone deaf, I guess. Yeah. And, to- and the pressure that's on you to be involved in all this romance and romantic things is also on them but it feels like even more on them because they don't experience it there's they're slapped in the face constantly aerospec people are constantly slapped in the face with the fact that um they experience the world in a way that society deems to be wrong um and so I mean, sure, I might be lucky in that I don't have any um, attraction romantically and I don't have any urge to date, but I also have every rom-com ever, every movie ever, every TV show ever reminding me that I am not like the rest of you and that, you know, I'm I'm missing out. Um, there, So there's always, you know, there's always something on the other end of that seesaw. Right. I think that this statement is kind of more one that I would say to gauge where you are in your relationship with this person because it, you know, it could be a joke of like, you know, like we say, yeah. like about lesbians, you're so lucky for not having to deal with men. They suck. Ha ha. Um, because obviously there are a lot of things to be thankful for when you're aromantic. Like we've mm-hmm. talked about this in other episodes. There's a lot of things to love about being aromantic. And we're not saying that aromantic people aren't lucky in some ways. Um, we're just saying if you're going to say something like this, just be aware of kind of the implications that you might be putting forth. Yeah. Um, the next one is basically being like, oh, are you arrow because you're so ugly and you just like can't get a date? Girl, you calling me ugly? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Arrow and arrows bag people look all sorts of ways. Um, how someone looks is not indicative of whether or not they experience a certain type of attraction. Full stop. And arrow people can still put effort into looking uh you know like what's traditionally deemed as like looking good like i still own makeup and i wear it when i want to and you know i still get annoyed when my face breaks out and you know like arrow people can still want to look like quote unquote beautiful or good um and it's i i think that's also just kind of it also implies that all people um, dress or try to look a certain way just to attract a mate. And I think that's so, um, it's so very wrong, <laughs> um, especially when it comes, because it's often levied at women who are like, oh, you're just doing that to get a guy, blah, 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 blah. And um, I, I definitely like to push back on that. Um, you know, I could get a date if I wanted to. I have had people ask me on dates. It's, you know, so it's... Uh, big brag. Big brag. Um, So, you know, that's it's just an absurd statement. Yep. The final thing that we have, not to say or ask, 
um, that we thought of is the idea that like you're just a sociopath or a psychopath and you have no feelings at all. I have so many feelings. I um, sometimes have way too many feelings. I get very passionate and very excited about people. There are people in my life who I love very much. Um, I do have feelings, sometimes to my own detriment. Yeah, this is Um, just incredibly harmful, this sentiment, to it's almost trying to clinicalize someone's identity, trying to medicalize it in some way, and then put it in the context of something that is seen very negatively with his, you know, psychopathy. So, you know, relating it to a mental illness, um, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of harm that comes from that statement. And also, I'm I'm not an expert on this, but I'm pretty sure that for sociopaths and or psychopaths, it is still possible for them to experience feelings. So that's honestly kind of offensive to sociopaths and psychopaths. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> um, whew, all right, Kayla, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to add about aromanticism? Um, respect it. There mm-hmm. are... A lot of resources out there. I think the best resource is probably Aria. It's um, at aromanticism.org. They are a great website. They also have, you know, social media presence. They have a great newsletter. Um, But it is the Aromantic Spectrum Union for Recognition, Education, and Advocacy. So they do a lot there, have a lot of blogs about, you know, more specific things. Um, Just, you know, a lot more things to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just for me as a person who's Arrow, um, it's it's totally okay to have questions, and it's totally okay to want to know more, um, but it is not okay to just kind of look at an Arrow person and tell them that there's something wrong with them or that they're that they're wrong for for experiencing the world in the way that they do. I appreciate your uh your thoughtful questions and your thoughtful conversation. Um but you know, I am a human person and this is how I experience the world and uh please respect that. Yeah, it doesn't like Sarah said it's okay if you don't understand it at first. All we ask at the beginning is at least some respect. Yep. That would be that would be great. Thanks. <laughs> um and you know, listen listen to Arrow voices and you know what they what they are asking for and what they <sighs> All right. With that said, I think we've reached the end of our official TED Talk. Uh we have some more podcast but if you're here just for the TED Talk, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, you can find more information on our website, um, on Aria's website. Um, a lot of places have some wonderful little arrow resources. Um, and we urge you to uh, do your research, look up things, ask thoughtful questions, and... Uh, acknowledge that some people just experience the world differently than you and that is okay and that is cool and fun. Yes. And now, <sighs> deep breath, everyone. We okay. made it. We did this it. This is now the silly time at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And now we can take deep breath and we can just have silly time. This was less exhausting than the ace ted talk we're getting better at doing more fat but it was still episodes. it was still um we had As a lot is of obvious, stops and starts it is harder to do a podcast that is factual it is easier to do one where you're just talking to your friend <laughs> yeah um oh editing this is gonna be fun um not not as horrible as the first time though i don't think we're changing the order of anything <laughs> No, I think we're getting better. <laughs> we're getting better. Shocking that we would get better at this over yeah. three years, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, great. Kayla, what's our poll for this week? I don't know. <laughs> are you Arrow? I, you know, I, I would like to know how many of our followers are Aerospec. 
it won't just be our followers. Someone will retweet it. Well. Uh, <laughs> followers only. <laughs> followers only. Maybe how are you celebrating Aromantic Awareness Week? Okay. Um, wonderful. Um, so for beef and juice, I had some very spicy political takes that I <laughs> wrote a large note on my phone about um that i'm not gonna say here in part just because of the it being the the ted talk episode in part because um i just didn't want to get riled up again and so i deleted the note and you know what sometimes you have to just rant in the notes app and then delete it It just makes you feel better you don't need to post it anywhere you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. just let it out um so my beef is something that it is constantly a beef it's when people especially people who are otherwise progressive say he or she when they is right there (laughs) like it's easier to say that why like you're trying to be inclusive but you're being exclusive like it's just like extra work for you too like i don't understand it's so it's it's very it's very annoying um and my juice is that I live with a cat now. <gasps> yes. It's not my not cat. Not my cat. It's not my cat's either. Sarah didn't move no. in with me. <laughs> I still live in California. But uh, my new roommate moved in and she has a cat and his name is Bogey and he's a little delight. Um, he is uh, afraid of a lot of things, but for some reason not afraid of me. And he likes to bat his little balls under the um under the couch in the oven where he can't get them yep that is um my cats also love that so that's all that's just the sarah update (laughs) i live with it i might be allergic to him it's unclear (laughs) worth it it's worth it (laughs) so kayla what's your beef and your juice this week um my beef is that we um i had to say goodbye to my family dog this week deaf baby um little miss ginger i forget which episode it is it's i think one of the early episodes where she was staying in our college house and you can like Mm -hmm. hear her throughout the episode so if you're a long time listener you might remember that in our, um, our our beginning of our query episode, we were talking about toenails. It came up because Miss Ginger was walking around. Yeah, my dog has very loud. She had very long and loud toenails as that of an old woman. Um, so she had to be put down this week because she, you know, her quality of life was not good yeah. anymore. And it was, you know, it, not good to just keep her alive, to keep her alive. Mm-hmm. Um so that was really sad. <laughs> very good um, girl. She was a very good girl, and I'm sure she's much happier now. Um, mm-hmm. Now I'm crying. Don't do that. It's too late. Um, My juice. Um, Dean and I have been making a lot of chili. It's just like a staple meal that we have started doing. Mm-hmm. And this week we made a chili, and I think we have finally like perfected our recipe. We you finally, made like, a chili. Out- <laughs> I made one singular chili. Yeah. Um, But, like, every time we make it, it's slightly different. But we made it this week, and it was, like, really good. So we wrote down what we did. So I feel like Mm. we've done it. We've cracked the chili code. Exciting. I'm happy for you. I don't like chili, but I'm happy for you. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Great. Uh, You can tell us about your beef, your juice, uh, your aromanticism, uh, what you're doing for Arrow Week, which, again... Is this week? Um, it is. On our, I there are exciting things happening uh, on my end for Air Week. Uh, anyway, there's exciting there's exciting things happening uh, in my life and in my work life around Air Week. Um, I'm excited about it. Also, I am going to be on a live stream on Instagram with at Voices for Berlin. Um, on Saturday, we should have mentioned this at the top, but we didn't. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not, for this episode, it's, I don't, I don't want to interrupt, you know, 
Um, also, we announced our query episode in the um, in the patrons. So you know what? <laughs> Nothing matters. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm gonna be talking about aromanticism. Nicht auf Deutsch, aber wir werden vielleicht ein bisschen Deutsch sprechen am Anfang oder am Ende. Um, but I will be speaking English when I'm talking about aromanticism. Lame. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that'll be this Saturday at uh, I think it's 12 p.m. Pacific. We'll we'll post about it. We'll post about it. Um, great. We also have our Patreon, patreon.com slash soundsfakepod. Um, we have two new $2 patrons. They're Freya Olson and Miles. Thank you both. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, you're lovely and wonderful. Our $5 patrons are Jennifer Smart, Asritha Vinakota, Austin Lay, Perry Fierro, D, Quinn Pollock, Emily Collins, Book Marvel, Changing a Max, Simona Simon, Jamie Jack, Jessica Shea, Rhea Faustino, Daniel Walker, Livy, Madeline Askew, Lily, James, Corinne, Alice is in Space, Sky Simpson, Brooke Siegel, Ashley W., Savannah Gozart, Harry Gaston Dugan, Soup, Amanda Kiker, Vishak, Jacob Weber, Rory, Amberly Istar, Rachel, Kate Costello, John, Ariel Axo, Ali, Tessa, Matias, T, Chris Lortano, Sam, Kelly, Scott, Ainsley, Orlin, Neve, Isley, and Julianne. Our $10 patrons are Arknes, who'd like to promote the Trevor Project, Benjamin Abaro, who'd like to promote me playing D&D, Anonymous, who'd like to promote Halloween, Sarah McCoy, who'd like to promote podcasts from Planet Weird, My Aunt Jeannie, who'd like to promote Christopher's Haven, Cassandra, who'd like to promote Manifesting Positivity, Doug Rice, who'd like to promote Native, by Caitlin Curtis, Maggie Clubbo, who'd like to promote their dogs, Leigh and Minnie, and also H. Valdez, who is our next patron, Purple Chickadee, who'd like to promote figuring out one's gender identity and the non-binary community, Barefoot Backpacker, who'd like to promote the Quirky Alone movement. You did you did it again, Barefoot Backpacker. You came up with something, We're and I'm so proud of proud. you. Um, the Steve, who would like to promote Ecosia, R.E.K., who would like to promote the eyeballs on Zon. <laughs> I said it like s- oh. like scone, like British people say scone. The eyeballs on. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Maddie, who would like to promote the Union series by T.H. Hernandez. Derek and Carissa, who would like to promote the overthrow of heteronormativity. Andrew Hillam, who would like to promote uh, Loveless and Arrow Week. You know, just keeping it all in the box. Um, Aaron, who would like to promote free forehead kisses. Kadir, who would like to promote gnocchi fettuccine as a wonderful name for any cat. And we have a new $10 patron. It's Potator. Uh, and we we didn't ask you what you wanted to promote, and I am sorry. (laughs) Uh, but do let us know. Uh, we'll, we'll probably message you after this just to put it on the record in, in writing. (laughs) Um, but thank you for joining the party, Potator. Uh, we love, we love a potato. Um, our $15 patrons are Nathaniel White, NathanielJoeWaitDesigns.com, my mom Julie, who would like to promote free mom hugs, Sarah Jones, who's at Eternal Lolly Everywhere, Andy A, who would like to promote being in unions in the IWW, Martin Giselle, who would like to promote his podcast, Everyone Special and No One is, Layla, who would like to promote Love is Love, also applying to Arrow People, festive for this week, Shrubbery, who would like to promote the planet Earth, Dia Chappelle, who would like to promote twitch.tv slash Melody Dia, Sharon J. Brown, who didn't have anything to promote, so we're promoting her, and Dragonfly, who is promoting... Rubber chickens. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Tune in next Sunday for more of this in your ears. And until then, take good care of your cows. <laughs> it's supposed to say cows, but her audio glitched. Anyway, hey, this is Sarah from the future. Um, just cows, cows. Um, also, here's a, a special edition. Um, SFBO rarity an outtake for you. Um, thanks for playing. Aromanticism is not no. Aroma- Aromanticism is not. It's not. <laughs>